So, class is getting smaller, isn't it? I need to start. T- Ooh, I need to start taking roll so I can call folks. Huh? Missing one, two, three. Yeah, you may write your name on the board. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's no whispering loud, Dana. Dana, it's no, it's no whispering, no whispering loud, Dana. Who? He probably wasn't speeding. He's probably just a taillight or something or something like that. All right, so John chapter 5. So far, what, what we're going to do is we're going to tie all this together. I'm not going to just... Um, yes, that's it. We'll give that to Houston. Uh, we're going to tie everything together. We're going to show you that the whole the whole Bible is is connected. It's all one book. It's not just a bunch of little passages, a bunch of little books, a bunch of little separate things. For a long time, that's the way I studied it, but that's not how we're going to study it. We're going to study it all as one coherent whole. So, if you notice, there's like the theme going on right now is kind of like it's newness, isn't it? Like chapter one, uh, I, I notice I say like all the time. You know, everyone knows that? Like for real? Like, like, I don't know like why I like to say that all the time. But chapter one, John the Baptist came with this new preaching. All the Pharisees came out to figure out what he was talking about. Chapter two, Jesus came with the new wine and replaced the old ritual cleansing water with the new wine, the banquet of the lamb chapter three nicodemus learns this new this new understanding about coming into the kingdom of god you got to be born again in chapter four there's a new people that are being brought into the kingdom of god the samaritan woman these sinners why is jesus if he's preaching the kingdom of god coming to all these different people and so chapter five is kind of a turning point in in john where it's still going to be talking about Jesus is going to bring a new understanding of, of healing and the tradition of the religious leaders. He's going to get in trouble for working on the Sabbath, basically, is what's going to happen. But uh, he, this is the turning point in the book where... From this point on, it's going to be conflict. It's going to be conflict with, with Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the religious leaders, Jesus and the, the Jews, the Sadducees, the, the, all those. From this point on, uh, till about the middle of the book, it's going to be showing the conflict between them. And then the last whole half of the book is just the last week of Jesus' life and his teachings before he goes to the cross. Uh, did any of y'all read it and have any questions? I know you read it. You have a question? Okay. Oh, wait. I just had a question. Like, the whole angel stirred the water. Yeah, I figured I was going to get that. And why that was okay to Well, that's actually a textual variant there in verse 4. Ooh, that's fancy. 
Yeah, fancy words. If uh, and let me let me just read one through nine, and we'll go. Uh, when when therefore the Lord knew this is the turning point. Now he had just healed the the nobleman's son, you know, and and. Uh, had said, whoever believes in the Son has life. He says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus... I'm in the wrong place. I'm sorry. Five. We're in five. Sorry. Sorry. All right. I was right, though. He had just healed the Son. Now I'm in five. I'm reading in four. After this, there was a feast of the Jews as Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, uh, of blind, halt, withered, we're talking about lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. I'm going to go all the way to nine. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity of 30 and 8 years. 38 years he'd been there. Uh, not, not there, but had a sickness for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? He asked if you will be healed. And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but I am coming... But while I am coming, another stepped down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the, on that, the same day was the Sabbath. Basically, what we're going to see as we read through the passage, and I'm going to just take it section by section. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Um, is that Jesus is coming with a new authority. He's coming and he's demonstrating his new... He has the authority to forgive sin, to heal. He has the authority to say uh, what is a, a violation of the commandment of thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy and what isn't. Um, his authority is going to trump the religious leader's authority who have made up all these man-made rules about what the Sabbath is like. So first things first, picture the scene. We're at the pool of Bethesda and uh, the, you've seen, I put a picture of just some ruins of the pool in, in the outline. So you probably looked at that. Um, there is an underground spring that fed the pool of Bethesda. So it's like, have you been to hot springs, Arkansas or something like that? And you know how they, the hot deal so um, there was a tradition among the Jews what there was a tradition among the Jews that when the water was stirred it was an angel there was a lot of angelology angel worship angel stuff going on with the Jews at this time you can see that in the book of Hebrews where he the writer of Hebrews takes great pains to show that Jesus is better than the angels there's a lot of angel worship and all that kind of stuff going on so there's a tradition I'm getting to it there's a tradition that the, an angel stirred the water and if you're the first one into the pool then you get healed now does God work that way you think like basically to me it sounds like only the strong survive I mean if you ain't strong enough to crawl over somebody and get in the pool you don't get no healing if you're not if you don't put yourself in the right place you don't get no healing 
If you don't pull yourself up and get your butt over there and do it yourself, you don't get you don't get nothing from God, you know. And also, when Jesus talks to the man that's lying on his mat, and the man he says, "You want to be made whole," the man uh, the man kind of answers his question in a weird way. But once Jesus heals him, he didn't say nothing about, "Well, let me help you into the pool." Well, let me show you what the reason for the pool is here. You know, he just said, "You healed." You know, now. Uh, if you weren't here for the Can You Trust the New Testament deal, I suggest you go back and listen to it uh, on the website. I talked about textual variants and those kind of things, how they, you know, kind of work its way into the text. That verse 4 is an explanation as to why the man was waiting there. Um, it's not in the oldest manuscripts of John that we have. But it was placed in the margin in a few manuscripts as a person was trying to explain what was going on. And because when scribes copied manuscripts, they didn't want to leave anything out. We have all the readings. It, it you know, if you, if you, this is not what I'm supposed to be talking about. But if you, you had a manuscript of John, it looks like this. I mean, but these are actual words, right? And the guy who wrote or copied the manuscript is dead. So you can't go talk to him. You can't go ask him nothing. And then right here, you got an arrow and you got some words right here. Okay. And you're copying the manuscript. You don't know whether he just forgot that or if he put it on his own or if this is, you know. So what you do is you just copy that into the text. And that does in no way you need to listen to that other talk we had about the New Testament thing because that in no way met, that in no way um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, hinders the infallibility of God's word or the trustworthiness of God's word because we know it's there we know it's there if we didn't know that it was it was added then I'd be worried because stuff got put in we don't even know nothing about it makes sense did that answer your question ask your question Maybe he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, could there be like, somebody trying to make money off of it? You know, like, $10 all of well, think about it this way. I don't like, I don't like the guy's attitude anyway. You know, as we go through reading this text, uh, he got, it's a lot of trouble. And we'll see. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things that's weird about this guy. And one of the questions Jesus asked him is weird. I mean, I've been to a lot of hospitals, you know, talk to sick folks, and, you know, actually I'm going to be at a lot more here shortly. I mean, what would it be like if you're in the hospital and you're lying there in the hospital bed? Hi, hi my name's Jason. I'm a, I'm a chaplain. I'm here to pray with you. Do you want to get better? I mean, is that a question that you would ask somebody? You, would you like to be better? I mean, that's like kind of a weird question to ask. Jesus walks up to this guy. Now picture the scene. All these people are laying around this pool, you know, and this, this is a big... Is that, it was actually two pools that was fed by one spring, but it had a port. You know what a portico is? A porch 
thing. The, it's in ruins, so we don't exactly know, but the model looks like, like this is, these are, okay, that's enough. This is a, that, okay, never mind. This is, the, there was two pools. That's not, okay. Okay, look, this is a pool. I'm gonna label it. And this is a pool. Okay, and there was a port, there was a covered walkway here, covered walkway here, covered walkway here, and a covered walkway here. Okay, so it made five, one, two, three, four, five covered walkways. Now that's a model of what the archaeologists think it looks like. We don't really, I mean, there wasn't no pictures, so we don't really know exactly what it looked like. But all along these porticos were sick folks. I mean, just laying around, can't walk, blind, infirm, skin disease, stinking, pus running everywhere. Just, I mean, it was, you couldn't thought of a, a grosser, more disgusting scene. And all these folks is laying around and Jesus walks up to this, these folks. He visited a place where probably not too many Jewish rabbis would go visit. And... Uh, he asked this guy who had been there for 30 years, not necessarily right here at the pool, but had been in sick, lame, basically. He couldn't walk for 30, 38 years. Think about that for a second. Can't go to the bathroom by yourself. There ain't no such thing as welfare back then. There ain't no, if you ain't got no family, you just starve to death. There's, you can't do nothing. There's no, you have no hope for life, no hope for Anything other than laying here at the pool, you know, with all the sick folks. Jesus walks up to him and says, you want to be made whole? And what does the dude answer? Does he say yes? No. He says, he gives him a reason why he can't be made whole. So it gets me thinking, the dude might not have wanted to be made whole. I mean, not the way... What I'm saying is he might have just give up hope. See what I mean? Of ever being made hope. What? Just ask. Well, and then like in 14, he tells them, you know, send no more because something else worse Well, there's three things in the passage that really bother me uh, about the guy. Number one, he didn't answer Jesus when he said, I want to, do you want to be made whole? He didn't say, yes, I want to be made whole. He just gave him a reason why he can't be made whole. Okay. The second thing is what, what you're talking about. When Jesus found him again later, Jesus, he didn't know who Jesus was. So we can't say, well, this man had faith that Jesus was, you know, he didn't even know his name. He didn't even know his name. When Jesus found him, he didn't admonish him or exhort him or anything. He warned him. He said, look, you're healed, dude, <laughs> but you better get right with God. You better, you better, you know, it, it basically said stop sinning, stop living in sin, stop practicing sin. Otherwise, something really, really bad, something worse is going to happen to you. That's the second thing. And the third thing is when the man found out who it was that healed him, what was the first thing he did? Yeah, he went and ran back and told the guys that was going to get, you know, that were going to get him in trouble. So it's a lot about this guy that I find very strange that I just, I don't think he is an example of someone 
with faith in Christ that we should emulate or, or anything like that. What I see in the story, the point of this whole narrative, and it's the whole chapter 5 of John. We're going to see the, the rest of it, Jesus' speech next week. But the whole point of this chapter is that Jesus broke the religious tradition by healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, my authority is greater than your authority. And so it's basically just a challenge of authority. The healing is kind of incidental. It's like Jesus healed the guy and there's only like, you know, good nine verses out of this whole chapter of 47 verses about that healing. And then the rest of the whole chapter is all about the conflict that Jesus and the Pharisees are, are you know, having. The whole end of this chapter is going to be Jesus' big long monologue about I am the Son of God. I am equal with God. I am the one who decides. And, and so we'll see that next week. So, Valerie, if you're going to ask so many questions, you got to sit on the front row. It's the last one. Okay, last one. Is, is the fact that he said, do you want to be made whole, is that different than other words that he used for other people? No, uh-uh, it's the same. Made whole, uh, that's, it says whole, it says completed, perfect. Do you want to be, but we would take it as healed. You know, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be... You know, and because of the narrative that follows and his interactions with Jesus and he didn't even know Jesus' name, I don't take that to mean Jesus touched him and all of a sudden he became a believer. See what I mean? Because he was walking around healed. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't know Jesus' name. He didn't know who had healed him. They came to him and asked him, who healed you? He's like, I don't know. Some guy told me to carry my mat. It's kind of <laughs> ironic though that he was not... Well, now he might have been happy that he was healed, but he wasn't happy that, you know, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know. What do you think if somebody walked up to you today and healed you from cancer or whatever? I mean, wouldn't you think that there's there's something special about he would question who this person is? Yeah. Find out and be appreciative and... Well, and the next time you see him, he's in the temple. So maybe he went to the temple to praise God and to thank God. You know, I, I, we don't know. It's just we're not told. We're not told. It seems like to me, though, that the narrative is more about, okay, the guy's healed and he's walking down the street carrying his mat. Just, you know, this, I mean, he's got to be happy that, you know, I'm healed. So he's just happy. And then all of a sudden, the first thing he hears is the first word in the Greek text is Sabbath. Sabbath, you know, they're hollering Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath by carrying your mat on the on the deal. So he's faced with that tradition, the tradition of them Jews, the tr- the religious tradition. I'll explain that in just a second. Um, and the first thing he does is not say, y'all shut up. I just got healed. He, he throws the blame onto Jesus saying, look, this, this guy, he told me to do it. He healed me. I mean, I, I, I. and then from that moment on, they don't care anymore about the guy who got healed. They want Jesus. Who is this that did this healing on the Sabbath? Because you're not allowed to do any kind of healing, any kind of medicine on the Sabbath. Okay. So what I see is not just 
focused on the man and his healing, but it's focused on the authority of Jesus to overrule religious traditions and all those kind of things. Because from this point on, he is going to be in nothing but conflict with the Pharisees and the, you know all, all that. And this Sabbath breaking is in every gospel. That's the first. That's the big issue. Jesus is doing this stuff on the Sabbath. He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's doing all. That's the big issue in every gospel that gets him in trouble is because of his Sabbath healing. Anything else? Doug, you fresh? Just when you were describing how Jesus came out of the tunnel and he knew he's there for 38 years, blah, blah, and he says, no one, you know, but I mean, you know, and, and like, you, like you were discussing, he, he, you know, he really wasn't almost like somebody who's been in the system and he knew how, he's somebody who's been taking care of for 38 years because nobody would take care of him. He obviously knew how, you know, and he was content with his situation. Yeah. That's the question, too. Do you want to be made whole? He might not have wanted to be made whole. You know, he looks out. He's up under a shaded porch. And obviously, yeah. And and he's walking. He's up. I mean, it's not just a shade. I'm not. He's under a shaded porch and he's watching all these people working and carrying their burdens and doing their things, doing business, running, you know, trying to make a living. And he's he's kind of got it made. And for a lot of y'all, that seems like that's kind of stupid. But you don't really realize how many people think like that. I mean, you got, you know, you got plenty of examples here in in this day and age for sure. But think of it spiritually. I mean. You would be surprised to find out, you know, people come to to the church and they listen and they are genuinely happy and excited about hearing the gospel and about listening to the music and the, I mean, I'm not saying they're like, uh, they're genuinely excited. Wow, this is neat. This is, this is great. I've never experienced anything like this. And then the question comes, do you want to be made whole? I'm not ready to give up all my sin now. I'm not ready to give. Do you want, even believers, you know, many believers will come to me or Brother Eddie or to their pastor wherever they go to church and they'll say, you know, I've got this sin that I'm dealing with and I just can't defeat it. And come to find out the reality is you can't defeat it is because you don't want to get rid of the things that are feeding it. See what I mean? Uh, for for a guy, you know, with a, like a lust problem or whatever, I won't get rid of the computer. I won't get rid of the TV. I won't get rid of I can't do that. But then again, I'm going to fight with this and I just can't be. Well, you can't beat it because you're feeding it. The answer is you don't really want to be made whole. For a woman with a, I don't know what kind of problems y'all have. Control issues or pride issues or, huh? What? Nothing. Whatever. Whatever. The answer is, I mean. Oh, you get Okay, let, let, let's use a different example. Let's use a different example. We agonize over our sin. If you're a believer, you agonize over whatever that sin may be. Whether it's malice, envy, lust, pride, the whole gamut. You know, gossip, slander, just pick your sin, whatever. You got one. 
and you agonize, oh, why, God, why can't, I, why can't I stop this? Why can't I defeat this? Why can't I? And then you go about your business. But what about, when's the last time you were like Jacob and you stayed up all night wrestling with God saying, look, I am not, I am not letting go until this is gone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to hear me. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it's not that, oh, you got to do all this stuff for us. So God will bless you. It's, it's the fact that are you ready to uh, surrender every part of your life that's going to fix this issue? Are you ready to really be like Christ? You know, I want to be like Christ in the ways that... I, I know are evil and I have a really problem with those areas, but in the everyday areas, you know, the stuff I watch on TV, the stuff I do at work, the stuff, conversations I have, you know, it's all good. I got that under control. I just want this area fixed over here, Jesus, leave all these areas alone and it'll be okay. See what I mean? Do you really want to be made whole or do you want Jesus just tinkering around in this little area and this area? But now stay out of my business over here because I'm doing good. <laughs> Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So he's asking him, do you want to be made whole? And the man doesn't answer yes. If Jesus came to you and asked you, do you want to be made whole in the way that we've just been describing? Would you say, yes, I want to be made whole. Take whatever you got to take. Destroy whatever you got to destroy. You remove out of my life whatever you got to remove. You take whatever steps is necessary. We're supposed to be battling sin. That's what we do. You don't battle sin by just charging without a plan, without a strategy, without a, you know. But most of us aren't willing to implement some kind of strategy. I told you, a lot of times me and Dana will do... Counseling. We've done it with tens of tens of tens of people. I won't say hundreds, but it probably ain't been that many. You know, and most people they want help with their finances, but they don't want to implement a strategy. They don't want to give up the dish network. They don't want to give up the cell phones. They don't want to do I want help, but I want to keep what I want to keep. You see what I mean? That's the same way we do with our spiritual life. And this is the same thing that this guy was doing. He didn't say, Yes, I want to be made whole. He said well, I can't be made whole because I can't get into the pool. So where was his focus? Where was he expecting blessing and healing to come from? Someone else? Yeah, the pool. Himself, someone else. Somebody carry me to the pool. I want to get in the pool. I, I need in the miracle pool. You know, I need, in, I need in the whatever. The tradition was, if you get in the pool first, you'll be healed. The guy couldn't see past that. I can't get in the pool. After 38 years, you think he might have gave up hope trying to get into the pool? Sound like he didn't scoot Huh? Sound like he didn't scoot Yeah, he wasn't even scooting to the pool. You know? It's like I would have been trying to bribe somebody or something. Just roll. <laughs> well... He'd probably given up hope of ever getting into the pool. I mean, 38 years is a long time. I mean, that's a long time to be sick. But that's what led me to my thoughts. That he'd been sick 38 years? Yeah, he was content with where he was at. Yeah, I think it's a very good possibility that he was. Just, I'm just going to live out my days right here and it's all good. Um, 
He said, nobody will bring me into the pool. He, just like the Jews later that are going to look to their traditions about the Sabbath, this guy was looking to the tradition of that pool. Whoever gets in that pool now. I just have a hard time with that whole concept because God, God doesn't work by the survival of the fittest. He doesn't work by if you can crawl over this guy. If you can't get to that pool first, you can't get nothing. I mean, there ain't no points for second place. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I'm fixing to get in the pool and then dude stick his hand in. Oh, he's in the pool. You get, you, the tradition was if you get in the pool first and Jesus, he doesn't even, he doesn't even reference the pool. Like he he was like, do you want to be made whole? I can't be made whole. Every time I try to get in the pool, somebody gets in front of me. And what does Jesus say? He says, pick up your bed, man. What pool? (laughs) Angels and pools and all that. I'm Jesus. Pick up your bed and walk. You know? And the guy, huh? No, I probably didn't say bam. He wasn't Todd Bentley. Surely not. Bam. Well, I know what it says. <laughs> he says, pick up your bed or pick up your mat. What does it say? Pick up your pallet, mat. Take up the bed. The bed. Take up your bed. Where are we at? Verse eight. eight. Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Verse nine. And immediately the man was whole. He was healed. He took up his bed and he started walking. Jesus demonstrates his authority. I have the authority to, in another gospel, one of the first seasons he did, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And the Pharisees was like, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? And he says, well, because, you know, is it easier to heal somebody or is it easier to forgive sins? But so you'll know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. That was the paralytic that got, you know, lowered down through the roof. Uh, it's kind of miraculous, too, that he never even questioned. Like, how did he know he was made home? He hadn't walked for 38 years and somebody just says, get up and walk. And he picked up his mat and walked. I mean, you know, that's, he never even questioned. No, he just picked up his bed and walked. That was kind of bad. And the whole scene is strange, really, to me, because, like, the first thing, the first thing I would do if I picked up my bed to walk would be, like, to look at Jesus and go, I can walk, thank you. Oh, you know, but it just, you know, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Take my bed. I see you. You know, it, it, of course, I'm I, I'm going on what's not written there. You see what I mean? So you, we don't really know, but it just says he it says he took up his bed and it walked. And the next time Jesus finds him, he's in the temple. So it's a very good possibility that he's in the temple thanking God for his healing. You know, so we can't be too hard on the guy. He very well could be thanking God for his for his temple. But the point is that Jesus here has authority. I don't need no angels. Don't need no pools. Don't need no traditions. Don't need no you get in front of him and you get in front. I don't need any of this stuff. Walk up, say, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. I got authority to heal you. The guy didn't even know his name. Jesus is demonstrating his authority. And now that authority is going to be challenged for the, for the first time in this gospel. And it's not going to stop. He says, he says, uh, verse 10 through, let me just read 10 through 15. It says, 
Uh, the day, the last part of nine says the same day was the Sabbath. And then verse 10 says, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, uh, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Can you imagine? Guy's been sick 38 years. The first day he can walk, he gets two blocks and they, they bust him for breaking the law. <laughs> breaking the law from carrying his mat. He answered, he, the guy answered, he says, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up that bed and walk. He's like, hey, it ain't my fault. The guy told me, to, this dude that did it told me to do it. Then they asked him, what man is it that's, that which said to thee, take up that bed and walk? And he, that, and he that was healed wist not who it was. He didn't know who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus finding him in the temple. We'll get to that in just a second. So the first thing is, Sabbath, Sabbath, you're breaking the Sabbath. Finally, this guy has hope. He has a chance for a life. He has a chance to go to the bathroom by himself without no help. You know, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine what this dude is feeling as he's walking down the street? And then the first thing that he hears is these religious guys saying, hey, you're breaking God's law. By carrying your mat. Now, it's kind of weird, but in the Old Testament, the Scripture, God commanded that we honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Then over in Jeremiah and Deuteronomy, there were a few things that said, you know, that you were to do no work. Like... It was talking about business, like don't make this a day of business like any other day. You separate this day for the Lord. Well, how do you define what work is? I mean, is it work for me to set up these chairs for y'all to, you know, to come to Sunday school? Is it work? So it wasn't very long before these Jewish religious leaders started defining what work is. And it got so meticulous and so ridiculous that there were abs- it was laws for everything. Like you could not walk a thousand, I don't remember if it was yards or feet or whatever, a thousand whatever from your house on the Sabbath. You know, like unless you were going to temple or something. And so what people did was they'd tie a rope to themselves and tie it to the house that was a thousand foot long. And then they would be able to go that much further because they're attached to their house. I mean, it was just ridiculous stuff. You couldn't carry a handkerchief. You could carry it. Uh, you couldn't carry it through your house. You had to tie it around your neck and then get to where you're going and take it off and put it where you wanted to put it. Like you couldn't. You could. I mean, it's just ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. You could carry light burdens as long as they were down here. You couldn't carry anything above your shoulders. You couldn't. You know, walk so so far. You could. It was just the laws that these guys came up with, and they did it so that they would protect the Sabbath. They said, if we make our laws stricter, then nobody will break God's law. But over time, our laws, our strict laws, became God's laws in their eyes. And if you break our laws, you're breaking God's laws. Make sense? See what I mean? What blows my mind is the dude had been healed. And they knew the dude had been healed. But rather than marvel about, hey, this guy just got healed. 38 years. I mean, that was a miracle. They were like, oh, you're breaking the Sabbath. Who is it that heals you today? You ain't supposed to be healing nobody today. It's the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to do any kind of healing, any kind of medical, whatever. It says there was one law that said you could put vinegar in your mouth if you were eating it like with food. 
but you couldn't put vinegar in your mouth for a toothache because that would be medicinal and you can't do that on the Sabbath. So, I mean, it's like really ridiculous laws. What? I don't know. Do I look Jewish? I don't know. The point is that the laws that they made became more burdensome. You're, the point is you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath and use it to honor God. But the laws that they'd come up with made the Sabbath more burdensome than the regular days. And so they came up to this guy that had just been healed. And instead of rejoicing in the fact that, hey, somebody came by and did a miracle. This guy was lame for 38 years and they miraculously healed him. What did they do? They were like, you broke the Sabbath. And I see this all the time as well. Somebody comes along and if they're not, you know, like, let's say, let's say Dana's been saved 20 years, right? She's going to be a whole lot more sanctified than a person who's only been saved for two days, right? You're going to be a whole lot more growing in Christ. You're going to be a whole lot more grown in grace and all that stuff. So what happens is... Sometimes we get to judging other people that maybe aren't up to our level of sanctification. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'll give you a great example. It took me, when I was saved, it took me a good nine months, probably eight months to quit smoking. Didn't it? it was a long time, right? And Pam still smoked. <laughs> so... It would be like, if I was to say, Pam, you just ain't that spiritual. You ain't, I mean, you ain't that close to God. You need to, you need to be really, you know, but the only reason, the only, that would be adding my own, my own deal to what God is doing in her. Does that make sense? Because if somebody else would have showed up five months after I got saved and said, now, Jason, you're, you really got, I mean, you know. That, that's probably not a good example. Is that a good example? Okay. Did that bother you, being used as an example? Okay, good. We hold other people to our own standards rather than to God's standards. We hold other people to our own view of the way things should be rather than what God says the way things should be. Does that make sense? They were more concerned about their own tradition, their own ways, their own religious rules, their own regulations than they were that, hey, this guy has just got healed. And so they asked, the guy said, they said, who healed you? Because that's an infraction of the Sabbath too. I want to know who, because he's not supposed to be healing people on Sabbath. And the guy Didn't know who he was. So later Jesus finds him in the temple and Jesus warns him. And this is very instructive too. Jesus warns him. Now there are some people, I read some things, you know, last night about this. Usually I try to read, after I get it all together, I try to read what other people say just to make sure I ain't way, way, way off base. But there was a lot of disagreement and I, I think I'm right. I wouldn't want a Sunday school teacher who thought he was wrong. So you're doing good. Uh, but there's a lot of discussion about about um, what was I saying? Oh, 
Yeah, Jesus went and saw. Well, I mean, I'm. The I have reasons for the way I think this is like that. He is. He's warning him. Some people think that the man had sinned and that's why he was sick for 38 years. And so Jesus is coming to him saying, hey, you better be careful. Stop it or it's going to happen again. Something bad is going to happen. Possible, maybe. But in John chapter 9, we're going to see that the man born blind, Jesus is going to say explicitly, they're going to ask him, who sinned that this guy was born blind? He's going to say that nobody sinned, that God's glory be revealed. And so the guy had been sick for 38 years. It doesn't say he's 38 years old. He could be even older than 38 years. We just don't know. But I can tell you one thing for sure that... Jesus was warning him for sure that if you don't stop sinning, and what I mean when he when he said that, what he means by that is to repent of your sin, turn to God, change your life, or allow God to change your life, turn to Him. If you don't do that, buddy, you're healed now, and you have hope of life to go around, get a job, get a wife, get you know, do all the things that you can do in this life. But if you don't, if you don't turn, something bad is going to happen to you, something worse. And that was spiritually. I mean, there's going to come a day when he's going to stand before God's judgment. Whether he was lame all his life and, and laying at a pool, or whether he was successful, working, had a wife, had money, it's not going to make any difference. Unless he repents of his sin, something really, really worse is going to happen. He's going to be lame in a way that you won't ever recover from. See, does that make sense? So I don't think... I don't think that Jesus was implying that the man's sin was the cause of his sickness, but I think that he was saying that your body has been healed, but you you still got big trouble. You know, you've got to repent of your sin. You've got to turn from your sin. Otherwise, I mean, something worse than being lame is going to happen to you. See what I mean? Does that make sense? Y'all think that's that makes sense, doesn't it? It's possible. It's possible. Uh, so where are we at? 15? 14? And this is another reason why I think that the guy has not been saved, he doesn't have faith, is number one, he didn't know Jesus' name. Number two, when Jesus came to warn him, okay, picture it now. You're sick for 38 years, you're healed, you've gone and you're in the temple now, you know, probably praising God or doing what they do in the temple. And here comes the guy that healed you. And he introduces himself, hey, it's Jesus. And he warns you about something worse fixing to happen. You know, he warns you about turning your life toward God, about your sin and about repenting toward him. What is the first thing you do? If you've been healed, this is the guy that healed you now. He's proven his authority. You would thank him. Definitely. What else? Yeah. Yeah. I would think. It was like, it'd be like we had a discussion. We're talking about Exodus in youth class. And we were talking about, somebody said, well, if I seen a burning bush, I know that I would. It's like, not necessarily. I mean, them guys saw pillars of cloud and fire and they still didn't believe. You know, this guy saw, he actually experienced the healing of God through Jesus. Jesus comes and warns him. And what's the first thing he does? He goes and runs and tells the Jews who healed him. It doesn't say he said anything about thank you, about okay, I'll, I'll think about what you said. It says, verse 14, I'm lost now. 14 says, 
afterward Jesus find him in the temple and he said to him, Behold, thou art made whole. He says, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. And then it says, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Can you imagine? Now he knew that he was going to get Jesus in trouble. Well, no, it was like he was trying to get rid of him so nothing bad would happen to him. <laughs> Maybe yeah, so. He got what he wanted, so. He got what he wanted, that's right. And he knew, they, the Jews had already come, and it's using, not all Jews, but it's talking about religious leaders and the Pharisees here and all those. He knew that they didn't have good intentions because they had accosted him on the street about carrying his mat and breaking the Sabbath. And when he told him, some guy healed him and told him to carry his mat, then all of a sudden it was like, well, who is this guy? You know, it's like, we're going to go get him. And so the guy goes off to the temple and he's at the temple and here comes Jesus. Jesus lets him know who did it, gives him a warning. And the first thing the guy got runs off and tells the people that are going to get him in trouble who it was. And it says from that time on, verse uh, 16, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay them from that moment because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father works hither, hitherto and I work. He's saying my father's working and therefore I'm working. I'll explain in a minute. Last verse, therefore the Jews sought more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath but said also that God was his father making himself equal to God. Here's where the stuff really hits the fan. Now you got a choice. Jesus' authority or the authority of these religious leaders. He says the, there was a there thing going around at the time about the Sabbath laws and keeping, does God have to keep the Sabbath law? And they were saying, no, God doesn't have to keep the Sabbath law because if God keeps the Sabbath law, then rests on the Sabbath day, the whole universe fall apart. You know, so God is working on the Sabbath. You know, he's keeping everything rolling and everything. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. He's saying, look, my father's working. I'm working. And the, the rest of this chapter is going to be Jesus' explanation. I am the son. He is the father. You know, and he's going to basically tell him, he's basically going to tell him, I'm God. I'm God. I am, I am God the Son. And that's why before we started John, I made y'all do that Trinity thing so we understood the Trinity. He's going to distinguish himself from the Father. I'm not the Father. I'm the Son. But he's still God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why we did that before we... And that's what this whole thing is about. It says, verse 17, he said, my Father's working. I'm working. And so the Jews, they understood what he was saying. They would never have said, my father. They would have said, our father. You know, we're the Jews. He is our father. The way Jesus spoke of him as my father implied that he's not your father. You know, this is my daddy. My daddy is not your daddy. In John 8, we're going to see that. He says, your father's the devil. He's going to tell the Jews that your father is Satan. And so, from that moment on, they tried to kill him. They sought a way to destroy him because not only had he broken the Sabbath by healing the guy on the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father and look, making himself equal with God. Now next week we're going to look at the rest of this chapter. All it is is Jesus talking and he's going to make his case as to why I'm equal with God and I am the Lord over the Sabbath and all your religious rules and your man-made traditions, uh, they don't apply. I'm here to induct all these sinners, all these people into the kingdom. You know, if they'll believe in me and trust in me, they'll be accepted. Simple as that. 
Good? Any questions? So basically the point of this section is Jesus' authority, he's coming with his authority, is greater than all the religious authority, the traditional authority, all the things that we might say or think, all those things. Um, and the point of it for your personal life would be, is Jesus' authority enough? Are you the man that was made whole? that refuses to listen to what Jesus has for you in these other areas of life? Are you the man that says, hey man, I, you know, I want to be made whole, but I need you to leave this part of my life alone, and this part of my life alone, and this part of my life alone. I'm going to keep these right here, and, and, and you fix all this other stuff. Are you that guy? Or are you the guys that, that run around, the religion police, that run around telling people how they're doing stuff wrong, and they ain't got it right yet, and they ain't doing a, I mean, are you that guy? Uh, it has a lot. There's a lot of characters in this story that really apply. I can see a little of myself in a lot of the characters. You know, sometimes I can see myself as the religion police. Sometimes I can see myself as the man going, I'll worry about that later. It's all good. You know, I know I'm not supposed to, whatever. Uh, you know, I just don't feel like, I don't feel like praying today. I'm tired. You know, you can see yourself in, in a lot of these different areas but the point is that Jesus has authority to command he's not a beggar that sits back going please 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 he's the king of kings and lord of lords and when he commands it gets done and if it doesn't get done then we're thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping the national teeth understand with me anybody questions Christmas parties December 12th at Pam and Dean's all right let's go Lord, we love you, Father. We thank you for your blessings mercy. We thank you for all that you are and all that you've done in our lives. God, we just pray that you would be with us as we uh, 